inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, someone bless these seeds I sow. Someone warm them from below till the rain comes tumbling down. It is time right now on WDEV for In the Garden with Peter Burke. Our program today brought to you by Menard's family-owned True Value Store, Brooklyn Street in Morrisville. By V's Flower and Garden Shop, Main Street, Waitsfield. By Clausen's Florist, Greenhouse and Perennial Farm, Main Street, Colchester. By your locally owned Montpelier Agway Farm and Garden on East Montpelier Road. By Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber in Middlesex, St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton and Derby. Sticksandstuff.com. By Guy's Farm and Yard Stores in Morrisville, Montpelier, Williston and St. Albans. By P&R Lumber, family owned lumber mill with all the lumber, mulch and compost you need. Route 15 in Wolcott. By the Willie's Store in Greensboro, celebrating 120 years of family ownership. By the great folks at Dandelion Acres Garden Center, Vermont Route 107 in Bethel. And by Polly Construction, a contractor you can trust where one call does it all, on Gregory Drive in South Burlington. Telephone lines are always open for your gardening questions for Peter and, of course, your gardening comments, 244-1777 locally or the toll-free at 877-291-8255. And here is the host of In the Garden, Peter Burke. Hey, Joel. Hello. It's a beauty out there today. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, and I hope to get up. And uh spent a little time in the garden this afternoon myself. Um, so, uh, interesting experience. Uh, the uh, My son, Jake, and his wife, uh, Nikki, uh, were, uh, the, the place we rented has a bunch of uh, pear trees. And uh, we noticed that the pears were dropping, you know, it's, it's sort of like apples, the early ones drop, and uh the friday night i came home to dinner they had made and one of the things they made was baked pears and these were the dropped pears that came down and they weren't more than maybe 2 inches or maybe 3 and i was so surprised i sort of figured well they were hard and and really unusable but they had they had cut them down through the stem and the seeds the long way opened them up they put them in a, in a big baking pan and uh, uh, put on uh, old butter and uh, some honey and uh, put them in the oven, 350, for about, uh, I think they figured it was about 40 minutes and all because they kept baking them. And, and they were absolutely fantastic. They were, hmm. you know, baked pears. And I would never have thought those little hard pears would would be edible at all, but they they turned out to be absolutely delicious. And uh, they topped it off uh, with maple syrup and a little brown sugar, of course, and that helped, but uh, they, <laughs> they were were absolutely delicious, terrific. Yeah, I, I did that uh, one year, and I actually could do it again now because it's happening. The um, place where I 
where I lived, I mean, literally, mm-hmm. all there's a huge development uh, behind me and all around me and all that. Uh, but it used to be an orchard out there in Mallets yeah. Bay. And so there are a lot of very old and uh, vestigial, I guess is the mm-hmm. word, apple trees. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them look like a cross between crab apple and something else because they're small, <laughs> hard little apples. Long story short, yeah. exactly what you said, you know, bake them in butter, a lot of maple syrup and sugar. <laughs> and they're delicious. They're delicious. Yeah. Sur- uh, surprise, surprise. Right. I, I totally had just sort of written them off saying, oh, yeah, well, we'll just uh, add to the compost bin, yeah. you know, a good good source of uh, uh, of organic material. But nope, they they uh, decided they were going to use them, and they were absolutely fantastic. I, th- I think that baking technique is good for <laughs> most anything short of a hockey puck, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Sure. Butter, butter, maple syrup. <laughs> butter, maple syrup, you cannot yeah, lose. Sugar, yeah, right. <laughs> you could probably uh, bake shoe leather in yeah. that and it would be good. But uh, I suspect that the same thing would be true with uh, with apple drops. Some of the apple drops that, that uh, I see actually uh, started to yellow a little, the, the early yellow apples, and they're usually the first ones to, to start to drop and and um so but still a little too tart to to eat well, uh, but uh with a little baking they they can these pears were absolutely fantastic yeah, so. the town of colchester took away my little uh, crab apple tree that was very close mm-hmm. to the road mm-hmm. and i said why do you have to do this he goes mm-hmm. do you want electricity or apples and i say <laughs> hey, you could borrow my saw <laughs> <laughs> timber huh yeah <laughs> Well, I thought that was a juicy little tidbit, and I was very pleased to uh, to have that experience on Friday. We, and uh, not to mention the uh, the Indian dishes that they made, and the fry, fried plantains, and all kinds of good stuff that they were making. And um, uh, uh, so, uh, what a lot of fun! Anyway, I think right off the bat. Oh, we have a call. Well, okay. Good. Hopefully, it's not a uh, credit. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go right to it. Good afternoon. Uh, you're first in the garden. Your first name in town, please. Oh, this is the Robert Frost Free. Oh, hey, Nola. Hello. hello. <laughs> I I haven't bothered you in a few weeks, and I felt. Like, well, you haven't actually bothered us in a few years, to be quite yeah. frank. <laughs> okay, so this is to add to your joy and happiness of the day. Mm-hmm. You know that the show always begins with John Denver singing mm-hmm. wonderful garden song. Yep. And perhaps, Joel, you are aware of the anti-garden song? The anti-garden <laughs> song, oh my yes. word. Written by Eric Kilburn. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, get ready. (laughs) So I won't give you all the verses because, heck, we could call again. But I'll give you a couple verses. Sure. Slug by slug, weed by weed. Oh, yeah. My garden's got me really teed. (laughs) All the insects love to feed upon my tomato plants. (laughs) Sunburned face, scratched up knees, my kitchen's choked. With zucchini, <laughs> I'm shopping at the A and P. Next time I get a chance, <laughs> and then one more verse, and I'll be quiet. Oh no, great, great, you keep get going. Up early, work too late. Watch moles and mice get overweight. They eat their dinners on a plate from hard work that you have done. As you sow, shall so shall you reap. 
but I smell like a compost heap. I'm going to get that lousy creep who said gardening was fun. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, my. It's a silly song. <laughs> well, if you can't laugh at it, you, you, you'll end up crying. I oh, couldn't no, agree with you more. That's you great. Laugh. On a day like today, there's nothing better on the earth to do but work in your garden. Yep. Yeah, I, I would agree, a hundred percent. And then if you have any pears, just get them in there and bake them. By the way, we'll do that. We actually have two neglected pear trees, which uh-huh. we're going to learn to love. Are they so dropping just, any pears? They're not dropping yet. Mm. They're hanging like little Christmas tree ornaments. Yeah, but I yeah. think we'll follow with what you said. Yeah, yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, I'm so surprised. Really, I never thought of it before. So. Anyway, thank you. So that was Eric Kilburn? Eric Kilburn, yes. Okay. There's more to it than I shared. So well, well, we will have to Saturday. we will have to explore that. Okay. All right. Well, oh yes. Just enjoy this amazing day and uh, Yeah. Thanks. No, so what are you planting right now? Anything for fall? Well, okay, I'll give you one thing and then I'll get out of the way. So okay. We all know that when we grow garlic, it steps out of the way in time mm-hmm. to grow other things. Mhm. So back Right before I had that knee surgery, mm-hmm. went to the greenhouse and started three flats, mm-hmm. 24 socket flats, one with a pumpkin called Honey Bear, okay. another with a pumpkin called Speckled Hound, and another with a pumpkin called Starry Night. And they germinated, and they grew, and they grew. So as I began harvesting garlic this week, I hauled some compost out to the garlic beds, Put some green sand down, and now I've got all these instant pumpkins. Oh, for heaven's sake! And a lot of people are like, "Oh, you're crazy! There's no way!" But yeah. I don't know. Huh? They've got all this rain from the sky to get them going, and yeah, well, we've got a good what uh, thirty, sixty days left anyway. Thirty, sixty. Yeah, yeah. So it was honey bear and speckled what? Speckled hound. Hound. It's a variety from Setco. Okay, and what was the third one? And the third one was called Starry Night. Starry, Starry Night. Yeah, paint your palette blue and gray. Yeah, yeah. So if if we get them, I'll be thrilled. <laughs> if not, you know. Well, it's a it's a beautiful uh, plant, regardless. Those big big leaves and uh, they spread out all over everything. So how can you lose? How can you I lose? Yeah. All the plants are big, beautiful plants. Yeah, yeah. And I'll close by saying I had a friend visit me this week uh, from New Jersey who has all of her family California. Uh-huh. She pulled out her cell phone. Look at this. Look at this broccoli. Look at this cauliflower. Look at this. Look at this. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, this is Vermont. <laughs> we grow what we grow here. We're not California. <laughs> she was okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Too. Well, I've seen some pretty impressive. I think the largest one I ever grew was like 11 inches broccoli across the head. And I was pretty proud of that. And and one of my neighbors came over with uh, uh, some uh, of the, you know, the long uh, uh, Japanese eggplants. And they were a good 10, 12 inches long. Yeah. And that was great. And then to top it all off was a huge cauliflower, a good 8, 10 inches anyway. 
and absolutely wonderful. And uh, so, yeah, that we can grow some pretty impressive stuff here if you choose the right ones. That's the main thing. We can. Yep. This is a good place. Yep. Yep. Right. I I'll wish take you it. All a wonderful afternoon. Yep. And keep singing the real garden. <laughs> Wouldn't that surprise everybody if Joel played that one? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, we got another caller on oh, the line. Oh, good. On the same good. theme. Yep. Good afternoon. Your first name in town? Robert Buker from uh, Northfield, Vermont. Hey, Robert. What's up? I'm calling about. Uh, I'm calling about butternut. Okay. And um, I don't know how to process them, but I've noticed a few dropping out of the trees, mm-hmm. and they're green. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, uh, they're they like walnuts a little bit, and they, they have a green coating, right? Yeah, kind of sticky green yeah, coating. Yeah, sticky right green now. coating, yeah. And, uh, uh, of course, you can uh, look up the way you, you handle a walnut, and that's pretty much the same thing. Uh, the, people's favorite way is to drive their car over them to get all that stuff off, but it will stain your tires pretty bad. <laughs> but whatever you do, wear gloves because the, the butternut uh, hulls will stain your hands, absolutely. It's, it was has been used as a, as a, stain, uh, a dye. For wool and, and different kinds of cloth. So, uh, uh, so anyway, wear a good pair of gloves and a, and a sharp knife and you can, you can get those holes off. And then, uh, 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 that's about the, you know, those are sort of your choices. There's no easy way to do it unless you have a, some sort of a hulling machine like they, um, they have for corn and stuff. And, uh, short of that, um, it's, it's one or the other. Should I just, as long as there's not rodents around, just let them dry in the sun and then try to bust the nuts open? Well, you can. Uh, in order to bust that nut open, you're going to have to get that hull off. Or if you could just wait and hammer on it, and, and as you hammer on it, the the um, the the hull will come off. And uh, do you have some sort of a nutcracker you can use? Uh. I got, yeah, I do. You know, a pair of pliers. You know, <laughs> cantaloupe. Yeah, right, right. Uh, a hammer and a, uh, you know, like walnuts, it's a pretty tough hull, you know, and it, it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, a real challenge. How many do you have? Um, I was just watching my neighbor's place, and I didn't even know what tree it came from, walking the dog, and uh-huh. noticed there's some green nuts. I don't even know where the main tree is yet, because it's oh, really? out of the forest. You know, it came out of the canopy in the forest. <laughs> oh, boy. That's funny. Yeah. I, so you don't actually know where it is, huh? Well, I definitely know they are butternuts. I, as a younger uh-huh. dude, growing up in a different place in Vermont, um, we had a butternut tree that was right there established, but this is kind of on a hill, foresty, and her yard is down low, and I, it's not a little green apple. It's yeah. the butternut. It's a butternut, yeah. Yeah, and there's, there certainly uh, have been plenty of butternuts around Vermont, uh, 
And one of my neighbors has uh, finished almost his whole living room with butternut. It's just absolutely beautiful. It's like a, a light walnut. And uh, now you, you just... So anyway, if you let them dry out a little bit, they'll sort of split up into to a couple of four pieces, you know. Then, and then if you just hammer them a little bit, they, they should come up, should come apart. Okay, um, a, a question. You mentioned walnuts. Walnuts are not to our northern region, is it? Are they? No, the the black walnut generally. Um, there is a Carpathian walnut that you might have some luck with if you had the right sort of mini culture, but. Um, no, butternut is is much more indigenous in a sense to our climate, and it's a it's a beautiful nut for sure. That's a pretty strong flavor to it, but it's it's a it's a great nut, and a one tree you can harvest a couple of bushels anyway. Okay, and bust them open and try to eat them raw, or oh, yeah, they, yeah, they're, they're, they're they're a good they're a good raw eating, no question about that. But uh, I probably would uh, uh, roast them a little bit myself. Just uh, um, yeah. because we have a lot of oak forests in the state of Vermont. Does anybody do anything with acorns except for the squirrels? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. They have an awful lot of tannin in them. They're just remarkably bitter. But uh, that's the same word I was going to use. Very bitter. I tried bitter. them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Look and you know a little cap on them, everything. But. Oh yeah, they look like wonderful meat for sure. And I, I, I have heard and read stories about uh, uh, them being used uh, for like pig feed and that type of thing, but um, not so much actually eating. Now maybe somebody out there is going to call and say we used to have uh, we used to have uh, acorn flour in in our bread, but you know that's about the only way I could imagine using it. <laughs> <laughs> or roasting them or doing something, like crush them and roast them or something. Yeah. All yeah. right, Charlie, thank you for your time. Well, let me know what you, uh, you know, how many you get. I'd be real fascinated to see how they are. Well, like I said, I was watching a, a neighbor's property, and I noticed a couple green ones. It's windy and breezy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they dropped off early, if they're good or bad. Uh, but I know the green is sticky on the outside. Oh, real sticky. Ah, right, right. Yeah. You know, so I don't know if they went all the way to maturity. Uh, I, my guess is that they they probably are mature if they dropped because they're, they're not going to, uh, you know, they're not going to drop until they're ready. Um, but the only yeah. way to find out is just sort of wait and see and let them, uh, let them dry up enough that um, uh, you can get the hulls off. Yeah, they're kind of, you know... They're like the size of a golf ball, yep. but more like the shape of an oval or an yep. egg. Or so a little like pointy at the ends, yeah. Yeah, instead of completely round. Yeah, right, right. Um, so, yeah, you might just you want to buy yourself a good nutcracker for, for those kids because they, they can be pretty tough, pretty tough to break open. Not quite like a Carpathian walnut, you know, where you can almost crack those. Shoot, as kids, we used to take two of them and crack them together, just, uh, and that's the way we'd shell them, is crack them in our hands. <laughs> so, he had a type of thing, kind of shaped like a pliers, but uh-huh. not to grab on something, but you push it in there yeah. and you squeeze it and 
yeah. even pop, you know, even like the Brazilian nuts. Yeah, right, right. Well, um, you know, I I grew up out in Ohio, right on the Pennsylvania border, and there's a there was a lot of black walnut trees there. I mean, it was so bad that you know, uh, overnight you might lose a tree because people was stealing the the wood was so uh, so pricey. Um, but uh, the the black walnuts are just oh man, there's they're very hard to dehull. They're they're worse by far than the than the uh, butternut squash. But uh, uh, I got another question. So we're talking yeah. about trees. Yeah. Uh, what about that big I don't know kind of slimy glue that comes out of our excuse me. Um, our black cherry trees here in the state of Vermont. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what that is. Uh, what is that that stuff? Um, I it, would call it like it seems like sap, like from a maple yep, sure, yep. A, a maple tree. Yep. But it comes out more like jelly. Right. Right. And uh, I've always just presumed, not having studied it myself, I've always presumed that um, that the uh, uh, that is sort of like a pine tree sap from a pine tree. Uh, I've heard of I've heard of people eating that stuff. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. Uh, my uh, my son's uh, girlfriend uh, comes from the Ukraine and and uh, tells us stories about uh, some of the people there uh, actually living uh, eating bark from trees. You know the uh, soft cambium layer on the inside, and uh, uh, I. Looked it up a little bit, and sure enough, it it is a good source of uh, a good food source. So it, you know, it's not. Uh, uh, it's actually um, it's uh, true. Uh, apparently, the Indians used to do that too in uh, the Native American people in in uh, in here. So anyway. Okay. Yeah. I thank you for your time. Yeah, sure. If you find you more, know, find out something different, let me know. I mean, other people listening to our program, you yeah. know, um, I've got a little book on um, about edible mushrooms, the one with the skull and crossbones, yeah. you know, yeah. stay away, you know. Yeah. But um, for cooking and frying or stir fries, whatever. Yeah. But uh, other people out there, you know, investigate before they eat. Well, I, that's a good warning for sure. Uh, uh, unless you have a a mentor, I would say uh, uh, you know looking for mushrooms is can, is one of those things that you want to make sure you have help with, and well, not just sir, venture today, out. Okay, sir. Today you're yeah. my mentor asking about these butternuts and <laughs> kind of. How to harvest them and once harvest, well, how to deal with them. Sometimes uh, those things, when they dry out, they'll just break off into four sections. So it, you know, it's pretty easy to to harvest them that way. But sometimes they just sort of they glue on and they're sticky. So you really got to just sit there with your, uh, you know, with your sheetrock knife or some sort of sharp knife and and uh, do it that way. Uh, but, you know, make sure you have uh, some sort of gloves because that stuff is uh, really a, uh, a quite the dye. You'll, your hands will be dark brown for quite a while. All right. Well, thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Robert. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Okay. Thank you very much. I think right now what we'll do is take a break for okay. some, uh, some of the fine sponsors that make this program possible each Saturday. 
Dandelion Acres is a beautiful garden center in central Vermont where you can find gorgeous flowering hanging baskets, annuals, perennials, trees, and shrubs. They also have an extensive selection of vegetables, fruit trees, and berry bushes and can also offer helpful advice to make your growing season a success. There's pottery, garden furniture, statuary, and decor from the whimsical to the sublime. Dandelion Acres Garden Center is in Bethel, Vermont. Go to dandelionacres.com for current operating hours and COVID caveats. Telephone lines are open at 802-244-1777 or toll-free 877-291-8255. Once again, here's Peter Burke. <laughs> hey, Joel. So um, it's that time of year when you start to think about uh, harvesting the garlic. And uh, the classic way to harvest, uh, to um, to see if your garlic is ready is to estimate about two-thirds of the greens are starting to turn brown, the green leaves. Um, and that's that's sometimes kind of a hard call, you know, is, is it a third or a half or two-thirds or whatever. And so that's one of the reasons why I've always said just pull, uh, pull one of the um, – Pull one of your garlic plants out, and what you want to do is uh, clean it off and let it sit on the counter for uh, a little while and dry out, and then see if the sections of the garlic are, um, you know, are developed, the skin in between each clove. And that's that really is uh, is one of the best ways I think to to say uh, to to see. And uh, some people, well, you don't want to spoil the garlic. I say, you know, how can you spoil it? You're going to use it. You know, it's great. Then uh, I um, I learned another way was again pull that um, uh, garlic plant out, uh, clean it off, and then just take a a knife and cut down through uh, crossways. And open it up and look to see if you can see the the individual uh, cloves, and to see if there's actually a little bit of space between the paper wrapping of the of the cloves, and that way uh, you know that it's it's ready to harvest. And uh, well, let's see. I'll finish up the harvest details after we talk to Steve in Montpelier. Hey, Steve. Hi. I have a question. Yep. Um, what is the kind of nut that's roasted most often on city streets? The chestnut, of course, right? No? The horse chestnut or the... Just a plain old everyday chestnut. chestnut. Oh, okay. You know why the horse chestnut was called the horse chestnut? Uh, probably because horses like them. <laughs> no, I have no That's idea. Possible, but also, also, <laughs> when you open them up, they look like horses' eyes. Oh, yeah, it's sort of like the buckeye. Yeah, yeah, it has an eye to <laughs> right. it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> anyway, thank you for that answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, do you like roasted chestnuts? I love them. Yeah. Uh, so, do you roast them at home, or uh, no? You just I, go I, for I used the to work in. I used to work in New York City and in Philadelphia, and they used to have them on the streets. Sure. Uh, was they chestnuts roasting by the open fire, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's It, it sounds great. And um, chestnuts are actually... Um, 
they have varieties now that uh, grow well in Vermont. Uh, chestnuts can can be grown here, and they're they're really a an excellent source of protein, a good nut all the way around. And uh, it's yeah, actually I think, I think they're growing growing chestnuts at Yale that are um, is a resistant to disease, and yeah. they're yep. sending them around the country. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of our tree varieties, they, they uh, um, have been uh, um, just slowly, slowly decimated by various different diseases or weevils or who knows, right? The, the elm and now the, the ash and, and uh, so many of our uh, nut kind of trees. But um, fortunately, if we've got very good um, uh, uh, scientists or who are, you know, Making varieties that'll grow here. So, if you have an empty spot, grow a nut tree. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, we have lots of plums and apples and pears and mm-hmm. those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I've all, uh, there's a, a book I read. Oh man, just uh, decades ago, called the Healthy Hunzas, and they talked about having an apricot tree that they grew there that actually had an almond, an edible almond on the inside. And huh. uh, so that, that seems like a good way to go right there. But uh, I haven't I have found one. one uh, I haven't found one here uh, in the one U.S. One more comment. Yeah. They have lots of books about trees at the North Branch Nature Center. Oh, no in kidding. In their great big new library. Oh. They have a huge new library uh, of all kinds of things about nature. And um, there's just everything imaginable. Birds, nuts, plants, animals, ferns, all kinds of stuff. Everything you can imagine in nature. Oh, no kidding. Uh, I guess I have to swing by there and check it out to see what they have on nut trees, if they have anything. Everything you can think of. All right, good. So uh, that's the North Branch. Uh, yeah, that's right out of Montpelier, going towards Worcester, right on the right hand side. That's right on yeah. the right hand side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, I've taken my kids there any number of times, now. and they, uh, well, they I started that helped start that in 1996. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it, it probably was right when I had my kids there, then 1996. Um, and they, uh, they had the raptors. They always brought the raptors in. They were fascinated with that or they would, you know, look at the owls close up and that was kind of cool. Uh, yeah, a lot of neat stuff there. That's, uh, okay. well, thanks. That's, uh, so are you a birder yourself or? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I used, I used to do bird surveys in, in, uh, in London. I was the naturalist at the, Connecticut Arboretum. Oh, cool. Wow. Well, that's great. I will take a look, and thanks for the advice, and thanks for reminding me about chestnuts. <laughs> All right. Okay, thank you. I just thanks, want, Stephen. I, I was just going to add my two cents that there's a gentleman, I think his last name is Mulek. I, yeah. I'm getting very forgetful in my old age, but he is uh, one of the uh, people involved in the Vermont, New Hampshire chapter of the uh, National Chestnut Stand, and to make a long story short, uh, he shows up at uh, the farm show each and every year and uh, has been involved in bringing the blight-resistant chestnut trees to to Vermont. And um, 
He is uh, usually available at all the farm shows and fairs and whatnot, uh, sometimes with a stand, and it's uh, really interesting. There are some very serious people dedicated to uh, reestablishing chestnut in, Ver- in Vermont. <laughs> That's cool, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I I would say uh, instead of planting pine trees, plant a few nut trees. Mm-hmm. Then we'd have lots of nuts here in <laughs> in Vermont, yeah. right? Yeah, WDEV for our ninety years, we've got more than our share. <laughs> more than your share. At any rate, let's go. Let's go to the telephones once again. And uh, your first name in town. You're um, you're on the air with Peter Burke. Hi, it's Andy. I'm in Plainfield, Vermont. Hey, Andy. Welcome aboard. Here. What's up? Couple questions. Um, first of all, when is it time to start plucking the flowers off the tomato plants? Oh, uh, well, the tomato take uh, from flower to tomato. Uh, we're talking about uh, you know medium to large tomatoes, right? Yeah, in this case, it's it's slicers or you know. Yeah, right, right. So I would say probably second week in August for sure, because it's going to take um, uh, about four weeks to six weeks to maturity. So if you're planning on a September 30th frost, then then that would be about right. Okay, and if we cover them up, we can maybe extend it a little bit. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Okay. <laughs> you know. um, the second question is, something is eating the Brussels sprouts. I'm assuming it's cabbage worms. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Moss around. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I mean, they're pushing through it, and it's probably fine. I'm concerned about... Uh, spinosad or a BT or something, just because I don't want to take out any non-target species. No, you're good with those. And just remember, you're only going to be spraying the um, those plants. You're not going around and spraying your whole garden and all the flowers and all that other stuff. Okay. So, so you know that. Not going to hit the monarchs or other butterflies. Yeah, no, you're not going to do that. Uh, you know and. Because they're not going to come over to the broccoli plants, I can guarantee you, or the Brussels sprouts or the kale, for that matter. They have no interest whatsoever. So, you know, you're not going to, um, you know, uh, and I understand and I, uh, you know, admire that that carefulness with what you're doing, even if it is organic, you know. Um, It's just like pyrethrum. You have to be careful with pyrethrum when you're using it around your your yard because it is part of a watershed and you want to make sure that you're not uh, putting pyrethrum into a pond or even a creek, um, you know, in its raw form like that. So if I was going to pick one item to spray on the Brussels sprouts, what would you recommend? Um, uh, just because of its usefulness, uh, the spinosad, uh, the Captain Jacks, uh, would be my first choice. Um, it's it's uh, much more uh, general. You can use it for a couple of different kinds of critters. Um, if you're only having problems with the with the cabbage moth, then just get the the BT, the the thergicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, everything looks good this year. It's been a really good year. Yeah. But yeah. The, um, the brassicas are getting hit a little bit, and they Mine seem too, to be yeah. surviving it, but yeah, the yeah. Brussels sprouts are the ones that are the most beat up. Oddly enough, there's one cabbage plant in the middle of everything that seems to be taking the brunt. <laughs> I, I, I don't quite understand that, but that's just the way it is. So. Maybe it's a variety you don't want to grow next year. <laughs> they were all came from the same flat. <laughs> and, you know, the, other, the other note I'll give you, and I'll get off the phone here, yeah, is yeah. Uh, we are starting to grow hazel birds. Um, oh, really? It's a cross between a hazelnut yeah. and a filbert. Yeah. And um, since we've been talking nuts today, it's it's 
squishy and it's hard to gather and you're competing with the squirrels but um yeah. they're good nuts and they're easy to they're relatively easy to harvest and they're they're easy to roast and eat and they're delicious yeah yeah so that's cross between a filbert right filbert and a hazelnut and a hazelnut yeah. Now, well, so they're, um, they're pretty commonly available around here. Yeah, where'd you get yours? Neighbor. Yeah, you know, neighbor. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I I know a neighbor was selling, and he said the sale's over, but come on over, and I'll dig up some shoots. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a bushy thing. It's not like you get one stalk like uh-huh. um, an apple tree or a pear tree or uh-huh. a palm tree. It it grows lots of shoots. Well, and it comes up and it's sort of a bushy mass and. I think they probably top out at 8 or 10 feet. They don't get that big. No, that's right. Um, uh, you know, and I was considering, and, and maybe you could uh, 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 help me figure out, um, I grow, um, uh, I use the trellises. Everything is in a 4 by 4 box with a trellis on the back side. And uh, so I'm training some fruit trees up on those trellises and some small boxes, and I was wondering if I couldn't do that with a hazelbert. You know, just train it so that it grew on that one four foot wide and, and, uh, you know, prune it so it would, um, uh, grow there even, yeah, well, eight feet tall. Most of mine are eight feet tall. Yeah, so is that what they call espalier or something? Something like that. Uh, I've never, I don't know what the word would be for, a, for a trained, uh, bush, but I, I, I think you probably could do that, but uh, I, I I assume I'm just going to have to try it unless yeah, somebody I, has. I, my first hazelberts in the ground where I lived two months ago, yeah. so three months ago. I'm not an expert. I'm learning to, <laughs> so I don't know. But I think it's a really good experiment. So I <laughs> well, I, I figured too that if I had it, you know, contained a little bit, it might be a little easier to. Uh, to avoid the uh, the squirrels and the and everybody else who wants yeah, well, to. Well, I mean, it's it's a spreader, right? The way it yeah. propagates is through shoots, and they yeah. spread out and they yeah. move up, and you get a large bushy mass unless you're really pruning it hard. Well, that's I was planning on really pruning it hard. I, you know, I think you could pull it off. Yeah. I, I, you know, if you've got the space, what the heck, give it a try. Yeah, um, I, there's not much to lose, and and maybe I'd get a few nuts even. <laughs> yeah, well, you might have an easier time collecting them. I think what I have seen, I mean, I've seen filbert orchards, mm-hmm. and they tend to grow them off of primary stalks, and then I oh. think when harvest comes, they spread uh, claws, tarps on the ground and shoot oh. trees like they do with almonds. Huh. Huh. And that's how they collect them, is by mowing around them so you've got a drop zone and the fruit comes off. Huh. I've never seen anything like that in Vermont. No. When I see them here, they're all bushy. Yeah, yeah, that's all I've seen too. But I thought, well, you know, um, why not? Why not try to train them? So there you go. That's got to put that on the list for next year. Yeah, uh, unless maybe I could plant one this fall. I don't know. I'll have to, to check with uh, Nico up there on East Hill and see what he yeah, says. Ask, yeah, ask, yeah, talk to Nico. Nico would know. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, anyway, thank you for the show, and I appreciate your advice. Yeah, well, thanks for the call. It was good to talk with you. <laughs> See, a lot of times I learn more than anybody else on this show. <laughs> I tell you, there's plenty to learn. I went I went into my uh, Rolodex because I wanted to remember my friend's name. Yeah. And um, I, I said Mulek. It's Gulick. Uh, Terry Gulick in uh, Springfield, Vermont. And a fine gentleman, and he has been, he has been dedicating himself to uh, reestablishing Fungus resistant chestnuts in, uh, in, in Vermont. And that would mean getting some of the uh, genes of the uh, blight resistant mm-hmm. Chinese chestnuts yeah. into what uh, we know as the, uh, you know, the North American 
chestnut and uh, reestablishing them, and he's doing that really well. So if anybody is interested in learning more about chestnuts, a fellow's name is Terry Gulick, G-U-L-I-C-K, in Springfield, Vermont, and if you want to get in touch with him personally, uh, get in touch with me at the radio station here, and I can give you his phone number. He works with uh, Dr. Randy Knight in Weathersfield, who is a, an emergency room physician mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in, uh, for his day job, but he is mm-hmm. equally dedicated to the propagation of uh, chestnuts in Vermont. Very serious uh, yeah. group here, and uh, they pop up at, uh, certainly Terry does, at uh, virtually every uh, garden show and farm show and whatnot. He's a frequent guest on uh, Common Sense Radio when they're broadcasting <laughs> from the farm show. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Huh? I guess he has a few political views, too, so. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. We'll stay with the, nu- the just the plain old tree nuts. <laughs> well, I, don't know. I don't know if we want to use the word nut with political views or not. We wouldn't be the first to, to say that. Huh? Well, uh, I've been called a lot worse, I <laughs> tell you what. <laughs> well, we got uh, somebody on the line right oh, now. Oh, good. Okay, here we go. I'm going to probably get my wherewithal. Yeah, uh, yeah, probably. As long but as it's not the boss's hotline. I'm okay. <laughs> and um, good afternoon. Your first name in town. Uh, you're on the air with uh, Peter. Hi, Joel and Peter. This is Cindy calling from North Face. Hey. <laughs> and I was just out of the corner of my ear. I heard um, about you were talking just talking about chestnuts. Yes. Chestnut trees. Yeah. yeah. Well, where I grew up in Wisconsin, we had. If I walked on the shoreline, I lived on a lake and walked on the shoreline, and there was um, a, a place that had beautiful chestnut trees. Mm. And low, their low limbs, really strong, mm-hmm. and you know they've got those spiny uh, um, shells on them. Yep. And then, um, as kids, you know, we throw them at each other, and they kind of stick on you. <laughs> so, but they, then you peel them, and the beautiful chestnuts would be inside and um i have never seen a chestnut tree in vermont uh, but yeah. I, i'd like to get in touch with this person the chestnut fella um that joel was talking about yeah yeah you no know, give me a call off air and i'll give you his telephone number and he can uh, i know yeah, yeah he's, he's fully into this it's uh, which is quite quite remarkable yeah, I only caught like the last. I just heard chestnut out of the corner of my ear, so I turned the radio up, and then I, and then I heard yeah to, to call you. Um, but um, besides the chestnuts, I am still interested, so interested in um, having a bird bath. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, for my birds because I know they love water, and I tried to make one, and you know I, I just would love to have a bird bath and. Um, I know it's good for the gardens, it's good for the birds, and and me. Yep, yep. <laughs> so yeah. if there's anybody out there that knows about, I was thinking of maybe going to the granite place, and maybe they have some mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. like that around. But. Well, uh, Joel was uh, describing his bird bath, which was really just a, a oh. the the clay bottom to, right. a, <laughs> to a huge. To a huge flower pot, if you were, you know, so because I think my I I, I measured it, um, just, you know, just with fingers, and I think it's twenty inches, yeah, yeah, uh, oh. diameter, big. Okay. And I I I what I do is every, every day, I uh, take co out with a pitcher of water, 
first of all, with a napkin, clean out all the bird seeds and other dirt that's in there and just fill it up. And I get such a kick out of watching the birds drink from it. <laughs> Squirrels and chipmunks drink from it as well, and some of the birds bathe in it. And then I know. And, and uh, I have, after having feeders for well over 35 years out there, this is the first year I've had a, a, a bird bath, and it's as much fun to watch as any, as the, any of the feeders. Mm. Isn't it? I yeah. know it. I love it. And my mother um, in Wisconsin, who was 92, uh, had has an elect one that she puts out in the winter time. But it's a, it's warm. It, it's electric. Oh, it's for a, heaven's sakes! Yes, and it has a little warmer in it, huh? They don't freeze. Yeah, they don't freeze onto it, and and so they pr- it provides water for them during the winter time too, um, which I thought was pretty cool. But I just would love to have a, a bird bath because I've seen them in the puddles, you know, in the driveway or wherever, yeah, yeah. flashing around. So yeah. I thought I'd love to provide them with some water. Just. Yeah, it seems like a uh, a great entertainment, and and if anything, nothing else, you're helping them out a little bit. So. Oh, and I love watching the birds too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we're we're big fans too. <laughs> <laughs> and right, Joel, so he's I will, a, um, yes. I'll find out about the chestnut and um, just uh, yeah. I'll give you a call, Joel. Uh, okay, great. Bit. Thank Have you. Yeah. Thank you. Let me just read a, a bit of an article from the chestnut, <laughs> one of their newsletters. Okay, um, okay, uh, Doctor. Uh, the doctor's uh, associate said uh, they pollinated some trees, blah, blah, blah. Two clumps of trees along the Skitchwag Trail were showing signs of chestnut fungus, reddish-orange bumps down at the base of the tree with an obvious wound and peeling bark. The trees will probably be dead in a couple of years. Terry Gulick of Springfield found the trees during scouting expeditions on behalf of the Chestnut Foundation. He noticed the tree's distinctive leaf with its serrated edge or the dangling white male catkins in July. Uh, Gulick now knows of other chestnut trees scattered throughout Vermont. The mother of all chestnut trees in Vermont is in Berlin, an 80-foot-tall chestnut tree. The foundation has collected nuts from that tree and a couple of healthy trees in Colchester, and that's where I live. We know it's an American chestnut because it blooms on the 4th of July, Grace (laughs) Knight said. This year the trees are a little behind schedule because of weather conditions and the rainy summer, blah, blah, blah. At any rate, um, so um, some of them appear to be a bit resistant, and that's what they're trying to do. They're pollinating. So anyway, a very serious business of uh, reestablishing the chestnut trees that are free of this blight. Mm. And uh, mm. and as I say, uh, apparently, uh, if you want to examine further, there's an 80-footer in Berlin and another couple of resistant trees in Colchester, which I'll find out about, yeah. if, uh, you know, by next week's program. All right, great, great. One, one final note. Uh, I'm learning so much about chestnuts right now. Uh, chestnuts were abundant in the four southern counties of Vermont, and uh, old-timers remember them being there until the 1920s when the blight struck. And where do you think the, the first uh, appearance of uh, the blight, the fungus blight that wiped out uh, American chestnut trees, where do you think it was first discovered? Mm, yeah, I'd, I haven't a clue. The Bronx Zoo in oh. 1904. So I wonder <laughs> oh. it came in with an, an animal or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, they probably you know caught some animal and put him in the zoo, and yeah. along came the along came the blight. So what well, 
in our in 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 the business I'm in, you know, we import a lot of stone from overseas. And uh, once that uh, the the ash borer came in, or, or you know, uh, they started to require that all the wood in in both China and India was uh, kill dried uh-huh. because they thought it was some of it was coming in on the crating uh-huh. uh, for the stones. And so oh, the crating, of course, the crating, yeah, yeah which could was carry anything, yeah, yeah absolutely, right. yeah, yeah, and and uh, who knows where it would come from. And so anyway, uh, that was um, that was the an attempt to slow down this uh, the ash borer. Yeah, it was found in the Bronx Zoo in New York City in 1904, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then made it up to Vermont by the 1920s. Wow. And anyway, so mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. the old timers, and I know that uh, uh, Terry among them. I am among them, but Terry's in his 80s, so he's been yeah. doing this for years. Yeah, I guess. And years and years, and remembers as a kid that uh, there were plenty of those. Uh, uh, wonderful chestnut trees on uh, his uh, farmstead, but uh, a lot of the farmers, once they knew that the blight was uh, killing trees, they cut them right down. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, yeah it's, it's sort of like the ash. A lot of people are starting to harvest their ash right out of their woods. Woods, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that quite a bit, and it's a, it's a the ash tree is a beautiful, tr- beautiful tree, mm-hmm. and uh, and wonderful wood for sure. Um, yeah, the, I just it was there's a American uh, Chestnut Foundation, and is yep, and uh, um, there's uh, a Vermont New Hampshire branch. That's and so it. that's yep. you know that's probably and you can find that online and right. there's a place there to uh, get more information on the chestnuts. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah, what would we roast on an open fire if we didn't have chestnuts? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, let me think. No, no, never mind. Uh, uh, the zucchini. <laughs> right. Ken has a Christmas song. Well, I'm not even going to bring yeah, it up. No, 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 no. This is not the dump show, Some, buddy. Something that roasts on an open fire. We can it's back, back to garlic. Yeah, back to garlic. calls every time he plays it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the way I harvest my garlic, we're, we're going to go back to yeah. harvesting garlic. So once you all checked. the time you need because I've <laughs> usurped your, your garlic hour here. That's all right. Uh, is I actually go to the trouble as I as I pull it up and I sit there with a bucket of water and a brush and a hose and I'll cut about a one or two inch uh, uh, stem uh, I, I cut it down to about one or two inches the stem I cut it right off and then I go ahead and uh, I rinse off the dirt off of the roots and I take a pair of scissors and I trim them and that's what I dry now I know that's not the way that uh, it'll tell you in the books to do it. Uh, what they tell you to do is, sh- you know, shake off the dirt and let them lie down and then put them on a dryer and then, you know, eventually uh, cut them and, and cut the dried roots off. I find that for long-range storage, uh, washing that dirt off of those roots and cutting the stem is is the best way to do it. I just I I have seen a lot of times when I've left the uh, roots on and even a little bit of dirt, it it tends to create mold in the skin. Um, so I, anyway, I just find that giving it a good washing right up right up in the beginning is the best way for me. Anyway, and it's, it's a small amount. I I grow about four uh, four four by four beds of 
garlic, and that's uh, 64, you know, times four is 256, you know, heads of garlic. That is what I use with my pesto, and this is pesto season because your basil should be pretty pretty well along by now. It should be harvestable, and your parsley should be ready. So what I do is I take uh, that basil, two cups in a packed you know, pack it down right into two cups, and um, I use a, a cup of uh, olive oil and half a cup of Parmesan cheese, quarter cup of uh, of uh, walnuts. I like walnuts. I don't care for the pine nuts myself, but, you know, any kind of a nut. And uh, there's a teaspoon of salt, and then I use a half a cup of parsley. And, and then... Uh, we actually, I actually parboil the basil, and just, just a, just a quick uh, blanch, you know, in the hot water and then out. Then it goes right into the the, the blender, and uh, I'll put the uh, it's four to eight uh, garlic cloves. You put that in, chop that up with the walnuts, put a little oil in there, and then put the basil in, and then gradually add that oil until it's nice and smooth and then you can put the parmesan in parmesan cheese in and then an eighth of a teaspoon of uh, citric acid i put that in so that makes sure that it the boiling the blanching combination of that and the citric acid makes sure it stays green and so i'll put a cup or a half cup of that in the freezer and then it's good uh, well the stuff i made last year we're just using up the last oh dozen or so and it's beautiful green delicious and it's terrific what i try to have th- about 30 cups every year to get us through and that gives us uh, at least one you know we'll have pesto ravioli or pesto spaghetti or pesto penne or you know any kind of and then sometimes we just have pesto on toast. It's so delicious. And then I do a, a whole batch for my uh, for my one son who doesn't eat any cheese, and, and we just leave the parmesan out. And a lot of people think that they like that that better anyway. So there's always that debate. But uh, I do most of it with the parmesan, and I always do some for Jake without the parmesan. And that's that's this is the time of year. You've got all that garlic that's ready to harvest. You're gonna you're gonna have your fresh garlic, your fresh parsley, your fresh basil, and you're all you're all set. And, and my my gosh, if you had filberts, you could use filberts instead of walnuts too. <laughs> that would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so. Um, uh, this is the time of, time of year to go ahead and harvest that garlic. If you once you look at it, make sure it's separated. And as I said, I'll just cut that whole stem off, uh, wash those roots good with the dirt, and take a pair of scissors and trim them off, and then put them on a on a screen. That's just a great way to 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 make to cure the cure your garlic. Unless it's a soft neck and you want to braid it. If you want to braid a soft neck, then you leave that. You don't trim it off. You just let it dry out. You know, I had some 
very decorative braided garlic mm. hanging on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I swear, I, it was hanging for 15 years. <laughs> you know, just as decoration. <laughs> sure. And it finally fell off the wall. <laughs> and would you believe it? The beagle ate it. <laughs> I, what? I, That's I, hard to believe, I, yeah. I, I, the beagle's still around. You know, so. I thought you were going to say it fell off and you found out it was plastic. <laughs> well, it was keeping vampires away, I think. So that, I think someone go. gave it to me and I just hung it on the wall. And it's been oh, here goodness. for, I don't know, for how long. Anyway, the dog ate it. Yeah, well, we had uh, uh, Yana, uh, Dave's girlfriend, uh, braided up our onions that way. And uh, I'll be darned if those onions didn't last and last and last just hanging on the wall, like you say. And we had the string that was probably, yeah, oh, two foot long. And uh, after I had used up the onions in the in the coal cellar, I started on the on that one and and uh well just before our fire you know it was in april i noticed a few of them started to sprout they ah. yeah these little green sprouts coming out of the wall there <laughs> and uh but i just trimmed those off use them and then there was more left and uh, well my trick is to buy a bag of onions at the supermarket <laughs> that i plan to eat and i put them under the sink mm-hmm. you know and then remember it about like 3 months later and i find a forest <laughs> underneath my sink that's that uh, a forest to green. Huh? Hey, unbelievable how they sprout. We do have a caller on the line. All right. Your first name in town, please. Uh, Trudy in Braintree. Uh, Hi, Trudy. Could you, could you quickly run through the recipe for your pesto? Oh, sure. A phone call right in the middle of it. Oh, yeah, no problems. Well, it's, it's uh, two packed cups of basil. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then mm-hmm. uh, the um, uh, it's a quarter cup of walnuts. It's a it's a cup of olive oil or any kind of nice you know nice oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, half a cup of Parmesan cheese. Okay. Uh, teaspoon of salt, and that you can do to taste. You know you can mm-hmm. you can try it out. And then uh, let's see. Oh, uh, half a cup of parsley. You want uh, parsley in there too? Okay, I got that. And then uh, there will. Uh, you you take that two cups of basil and into throw it into to um, boiling water just to blanch it. So it's just a quick you know put it in, take it out, and then I put that right in the food processor. And uh, well, before I put the basil in, I put the the some of the oil and the nuts, and I get them started with the garlic. Did I say you know four to eight cu- cloves of garlic? And um, so. Um, after that started, we put the the, um, the basil leaves in there and just, you know, churn it until it starts to get sort of creamy and stuff. And then you can put in an eighth of a teaspoon of uh, citric acid. Uh, some people don't use that and some people don't blanch it. But I find the combination is it's nice and green when you take it out, any t- you know, any time for in that next year, which which is my wife especially likes. And we you find that some... Hmm? You don't blanch the parsley. I don't blanch the parsley. It doesn't seem to need it at all. It stays okay. green no matter what. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if speaking of which, if you happen to have a lot of parsley, uh, I make almost the same thing, uh, except it's uh, two cups of parsley uh, and and the nuts and all the rest. And that makes a really parsley pesto is really wonderful, really wonderful. So the the basil pesto though is so easy to make this time of year when everything's come in. Uh, do you have some basil? 
It, it isn't very big yet. It oh. seems to sit there, but I've got quite a lot of parsley. Oh, okay. Uh, you might try just uh, some fish emulsion and and give it a good watering with that. Okay. Uh, give it a little boost there, uh, because uh, pretty soon you should you should have some some nice big leaves and and uh, the. Um, uh, this time of year, I've noticed we've had some 44 degree nights, and sometimes that will slow things down. <laughs> as much as everybody says it's so hot this summer, the nights have been kind of chilly sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, did I get everything now? So we got the I basil, think- the parsley, the walnuts, the oil. Um, how, how much? How much nuts? How many? Uh, quarter cup. Quarter cup. Quarter cup of walnuts. One cup of oil, half cup of parsley, and uh, a teaspoon of salt usually is about right. Okay. Thank you. Oh, okay. you're welcome. Okay, yeah. thank you. We're going to Waitsville for our next call. Oh, okay. Hello. Oh, hi. How are you? How, hey, how good. Are you, Peter? Good. How about yourself? Good. Good. Can't complain. I'm making some stuffed cabbage with cabbage from the garden. Oh, you can't complain about that. No, no I can't complain about that. <laughs> but I have a couple, couple, couple comments and a, and a question. So, I used your, I, I trellised my cucumbers this year for the oh. first time. It's working hey. very well. Oh, I probably super. didn't. I didn't. I don't think I made the trellis high enough. It's only about, <laughs> it's only about five feet. Yeah, didn't I tell you? I, I've changed mine to eight feet. You know? Yeah, I could probably <laughs> use the end of the extra three feet. Yeah. And the, your your cat litter chip, or one of your readers' cat litter chips, has, has been how I kept a woodchuck at bay. My my neighbor has who shot that woodchuck last year has yeah. we we both been keeping him at bay, but but uh-huh. the cat litter seems to work. That was Joel's suggestion because he has yeah. a Bengal cat. Yeah, well, I imagine no. any nasty cat litter. Yeah, I no, it, it works. It yeah. works. Yeah. But, yeah. I wonder if just like an ammonia soaked rag I, I might think work. It might be just- so I have a question. So yeah. I, this year, I have a sort of a rectangular garden, and usually for the last couple of years, I've had my tomatoes and peppers at one end and my squash at the other end. Mm-hmm. I switched it this year. Mm-hmm. Like sort of a, you know, rotate your crop yes. movement. Yes. Neither of them seem, they're, they're growing, but they seem a little anemic. And hmm. I don't know if it's the weather or I... Broke some rule of succession planting. I'm not sure if I... Well, I doubt that you broke some rule. I, that doesn't sound right at all. Um, what what is specific? It looks anemic. The tomatoes well, the, or the cute? well, by now the tomatoes should have, you know, by usually my tomatoes now probably have you know a dozen tomatoes per plant, and they're only like four or five mm. Mm. Um, green ones. I haven't gotten any. I've got one almost red one. Yeah. You, uh, the peppers, the peppers have not been going. Usually I have a bunch of peppers by now. I probably am looking at, at I was cleaning out the, I'm looking at like four peppers. What are you using um, for fertilizer on those guys? Well, I used, what would I use? I used, well, I, I, I think I did the peppers in, in your mix. Mm-hmm. And okay. And then I used, um, I used some Neptune. Yep. The, the, okay. The, uh, that should you know, be right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, the squash also, I've gotten a yellow squash and a zucchini. Yeah. But, you know, the plants, they just, they don't look strong. <laughs> well, as I was mentioned to Trudy, it actually has been cold quite a few nights uh, over yeah. the last few months, which 
which we usually just think about the daytime temperatures, but yeah. the, the nighttime temperature in the, in the summer will also affect uh, growth. Oh. And particularly with the heat lovers, yeah. you know, all of those things. And there's not much you can do about that yeah. unless uh, – that's why I've always grown my, my basil and eggplant and peppers under a hoop. And, oh, okay. And and when I when I put the hoop up, it's just you know I have a four by four box, and I I put one one end of a ten foot uh, three quarter inch plastic tube you know pipe in the one end and one in the other, so it just makes a perfect hoop. And then yeah. I put one on the other side, and then I take a piece of of uh, wire fencing, put it over there, and a couple of ties, and that keeps it in there. Then I'll just put one sheet of plastic over the top, not on the ends or anything. Oh. The ends are open. But that seems to, to create enough of a mini climate to, to give those, uh, the peppers and the warm lovers. So is there any difference, say, in the time of sunlight that you get from one end to the well, other? No, there should, no. Should no, be, there so. Isn't, there isn't. I just, but you're right. Person. I think, you know, it, everything else is growing good. Everything in between is growing, actually, yeah. it's growing very good this year because yeah. of the rain and the heat and the, yeah. My basil I do on the deck and pots, and it's actually been going pretty well. Oh. That might be in part because it's it's protected on two sides by the house. You know, yeah. it's on the deck, yeah. it's on the corner deck. Yeah, um, yeah. That's but, that's a mini yeah, climate. That could right just there. be it. I mean, there's not. You know, everything's growing. It's just sort of like, you know, it's the difference between. Or well, those things are you the ninety eight pound weakling or the or the strong you know the strong <laughs> the strong weightlifter I had. Uh it's just sort of the difference, you know, yeah. I notice it. I yeah. noticed it there. Yeah, there. okay. Yeah. Well those are the possibilities that I can okay. see anyway. And so how often should I do the Neptune? They say every eight days, but with yeah. this rain I'm not yeah. Well, what you can do is to, instead of watering, you can do the foliar spray, and you get the benefit without, you know, soaking the soil. Oh, okay. And yeah. the foliar spray has sort of a side benefit for, like, uh, the cukes and your other squash plants is that it helps to um, uh, prevent the, the powdery mildew. You know, it keeps... Oh, okay. Uh, so the leaves have a, you know, a pH factor that's... That's high enough that it'll, or low enough that it'll keep the mold from growing. And, oh, okay. And that's a that's a great way to to add a little bit extra fertilizer uh, to those guys uh, without over soaking the soil. Yeah. If you have a sprayer, you know, even a hand sprayer. Yeah, I have one of those big. It's you know, it's a plastic. I think it's a yeah. two-gallon sprayer. Yeah, two-gallon sprayer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's that's probably where I would start right yeah, there. Okay. Give them a little boost like that. Keep doing that every okay. Yeah. So what every about every four or five days or? Uh, no, I think that once a week is is once fine. Week, yeah. Okay. So that that puts you on a regular schedule, yeah. and you yeah. should have good good results from that. Yeah. Okay. And yes, you're right. We have had plenty of rain, have we? <laughs> oh, we certainly have. <laughs> I know. Roger said we've had six inches of rain this month, where we usually get four. So right. Uh, right. that yeah. should help the groundwater a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it'll definitely help the groundwater. <laughs> so yeah, go ahead. And uh, matter of fact, that was one of my notes for today. I'm glad you brought it up. Was to to spray rather spray the fertilizer rather than water because it's got plenty of water right now. Yeah. You don't yeah, want to okay. do that. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. Well, thanks okay. for the call. You okay, have a good care. week. Yep. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. All right. Well, have we done it now? I, th- I think so. I guess we have. Right. <laughs> you, oh, my gosh. You took time out of your American. 
Mercifully, I think. <laughs> no, I would never say that at all. I enjoy that show. Well, we have fun. Yeah. Okay, so I guess so. We'll you know, you. what's what's interesting to me mm-hmm. is that the, this is just sort of thinking about radio in general, right? And for me, I like to listen to the Red Sox on the radio. Mm-hmm. I, I I almost never turn a TV on, and it's because I can sit and do work and do things while I'm listening to the radio. And I'll be darned, but you know, it's hard to find a radio anymore. <laughs> you know, we hear these stories, people who have an old radio out in the shed in the garden and stuff, and uh, they just keep on going and going and going. And uh, I, I started to actually look to see where I could find a, a good radio. Well, I, I, I recommend uh, go to the Radio Shack website and look at their headset radio. Oh, really? I, I, I have one. Mine's out in the car right now. But yeah. I, uh, I, I'm in the house, out in the garden, everywhere, walking the dog. I, yeah. have, I have it on. I'm listening to, um, you know, a yeah. whole variety of whole radio variety. here on WDEV and occasionally one of the enemy yeah, stations sure. programs, too. It's uh, oh, wonderful, yeah. you know. Huh. Yeah. So, well, that's a good so, idea. Thanks. Yeah, a headset radio. They're kind of archaic right now, but <laughs> hey, you know. That would fit me really well. I'm a little you know, archaic, pe- people too. People listening on their telephones, and I yeah. imagine you can do that as well, but yeah. I, I, I like pushing a button and deciding AM or FM, uh, push the yeah, next button, and then uh, yeah. type in 550, and then yeah. I'm all set. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just, it just occurred to me as like, yeah. oh, you know, when I'm working, I would much rather you know, sit and listen to the radio and then then to try to watch a ball game on TV. Yeah. Oh, radio, baseball was meant for the radio. Boy, I, yeah. I, I saw it on the radio. Yeah, it's absolutely. Well, we will. You can see us on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Next week. Next week. In the garden, in fact. Indeed. Take care. <laughs> inch by inch. <laughs> inch by inch.